Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Roin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Special dedication, Rip Roaring and ready to go. Welcome to Wendell's World is Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Special dedication for those who are listening to this episode. Anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast, iHeart, Amazon, iTunes, Spotify. Do me a favor, will you? If you could just go ahead, if you could just kind of follow, subscribe, download, a rate, review, most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast. Man, I would really appreciate it. And if you want to go ahead and watch me do an episode of Wendell's World of Sports and you want to see a sexy, handsome devil, well, then don't go to my YouTube episode. Don't go to my YouTube channel. But if you want to see me do an episode of Wendell's World of Sports on my YouTube channel, Wendell's World in Sports. That is the channel that I have. Go ahead, subscribe, and uh, like the uh, video. Would very much appreciate it. But as of right now, you are getting the audio content of what I'm putting down. So let's go ahead, man. Let's just start about what's happening, what's going down in the world of sports. I, I was a little bit nervous after the NBA Finals because I was sitting to myself talking about, Lord have mercy, I'm going to have to start paying a little bit more attention to what's happening in baseball. And two of my favorite teams right now in the in MLB, the Los Angeles Angels and the Washington Nationals, well, they stink. If we could just put it mildly, they, they, they stink. So it was a situation where, Lord have mercy, on all I'm going to be doing is talking about the New York Yankees and their dominance so far in the... Uh, in the in baseball this season, and then what are the Astros going to do? Are the Astros the only hope that we have? Um, the surging Boston Red Sox, sure. The ALE sticking around with the Tampa Tampa Rays and the uh, Toronto Blues Blue Jays and such. Going over to the National League, you have the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers doing their thing, being threatened by the San Diego Padres. So all of those things. I was going to be discussing or getting more into, especially, as I mentioned before, the NBA season is over. I, I really didn't hit too much in the draft, the NBA draft, in my uh, previous um, episodes of my podcast. I remember speaking, the last time I think that uh, you heard a podcast, I was speaking about the greatness of the Golden State Warriors, the legacy of Stephen Curry and such. So I didn't have an opportunity to uh, go ahead and talk about what was happening in the NBA draft. Um if I could just hit that real quick, man, you know, it's a situation where we, we don't know what's going to be happening with these guys in terms of the impact that they're going to have. I was listening to Kendrick Perkins and watching the absolutely beautiful Balika Andrews break it down and along with Jay Billis, who does a good job when he's talking about when they're when they're going over the NBA draft and the picks and such on uh, draft day and... Um, it was it was interesting because almost every pick. I'm not only talking about the first round of the draft, but I'm also talking about the second round, 
where Kendrick Perkins was up there talking about, oh, yeah, I like this pick. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. Oh, that's a steal right there. Oh, yeah, mm, that's what I'm... It's almost a situation where, hey, man, has anybody, like, uh, told uh, Kendrick Perkins to go to Wikipedia and kind of go back maybe 10, 11, 12, 13 years in the NBA draft and take a look at the top 10, top 15 picks, the lottery picks for the uh, players that were drafted in the NBA and how many of them were, mm-hmm, oh, that's what I'm talking about, or, oh, yeah, that was a steal, or, oh, I like what they're doing on that pick. I mean, <laughs> there have been so many players... So many players throughout the history of time in the NBA draft who were drafted number two, number five, number seven, number 11 and such, that didn't pan out at all. And here's Kendrick Perkins after every pick, even in, this, even in the second round. I mean, you, you thought that uh, with some of these picks that were made in the second round and Kendrick Perkins was the, mm, oh yeah, oh, I like this pick. It's almost like, man, did, did, did they, did this team in the second round select the second coming of Nikola Jokic or something like that. I mean, so, someone's going to bust, right? I mean, someone that was drafted in the top five, in the top ten, they're going to bust. Or they're not going to be a, mm-hmm, oh, yeah, or they're not going to be a difference maker. Or they're not going to be, oh, this is the selection that's going to turn the Sacramento Kings or the Orlando Magic or the Houston Rockets or the San Antonio Spurs or the Oklahoma City Thunder. One of these teams, one of these players, Jabari Smith, Paulo Banchero, um, one of these guys is not going to pan out. I'm not saying without question that these guys aren't going to pan out, but it was it was funny just to sit there after every single pick. Mm-hmm, uh, oh, yeah, Kendrick Perkins doesn't know anything about Jordan uh, Johnny Davis. He doesn't know anything about the kid that was drafted out of Colorado State. And here's the thing that I will say, and I'll move on from the draft in just a second because I'm not really giving any analysis in terms of Paulo Banchero going to the Orlando Magic. What does that mean for the Orlando Magic in terms of their young core? What does um, what does uh, Chet Holmgren going to the Oklahoma City mean? I don't know, man. I don't know a Chet Holmgren. I, I, I know one thing. I'm pretty much sure of one thing that he's going to be closer to turning into Frank Kaminsky than he is Giannis and then Kupo. That was another thing when um, when Kendrick, when Mr. Perkins was giving out his uh, player similarities or player comps, and he was like, oh yeah, Chet Holmgren is, is a, is a uh, he reminds me of Giannis and then Kupo and somebody else who was just, you know, meddling unbelievably NBA top 75 all-time great it's like, I, I want to tell you right now, Kendrick, there is no way in holy hell that Chet Holmgren is going to come close to Giannis Adenokupo. Now, Chet Holmgren might turn out to be a great player. He might turn out to be a top 10 player during his generation. He might be a Hall of Fame player. I don't know. But to compare him to Giannis Adenokupo, have you seen the frame of Chet Holmgren? I'm sorry, have you seen the athleticism of Chet Holmgren? The lack of explosiveness when you compare him to a Giannis Adenokupo? And that's not a knock on, that's not a knock on Chet Holmgren. I'm not sitting here saying that he's going to be a bust or I'm not sitting up there talking about how he, how bad he's going to be or this, that, and the other because he's not going to turn out to be Giannis Adenokupo. Let me tell you something. If the, if, if, if it's a guarantee that Chet Holmgren and my man Eric G, who does a radio show down there in Tulsa with my man Coach Pat Jones on Tulsa every morning from 11 to uh, 2 Pacific Standard Time. But I'm telling you one thing. If you go ask Eric G, who's an expert on the Oklahoma City Thunder, 
and you ask him, or if you tell him that, hey, you know what? I have seen eight, ten years into the future. And Chet Holmgren is going to be 65 to 70% of what Giannis Antetokounmpo is going to be. You know what Eric G is going to do? He's going to get up off his seat. He's going to get into the street. He's going to turn on uh, Dancing in the Street by Martha and the Vandellas. And he's going to be going up and down the avenue, dancing in the street like, the, like he was Martha and the Vandellas. And then after he's done, because he's in great shape without sweat, pouring from his brow, he's going to get on the ceiling and start dancing while the song Dancing on the Ceiling like Lionel Richie is going to be playing. That's how happy that Eric G and the rest of the Oklahoma City fan base is going to be if Chet Holmgren throughout his career can be 70%, 65%, of what uh, Giannis Adenokupo is going to be, let alone talking about he reminds me of not only Giannis, but I forgot the other comp that uh, Kendrick Perkins was talking about. But it was like, man, slow down a little bit, Kendrick. Slow down. One of these guys, I'm telling you, someone, somebody in the top five is going to bust. I don't know if it's going to be Jabari Smith. I don't know if it's going to be Holmgren. I don't know if it's going to be Banchero. I don't know if it's, I don't know who it's going to be. But one of these guys is going to bust. So it, it, it was just interesting. But the great thing about uh, sports it's the uh, greatest reality show on uh, television because we actually don't know who's going to be great. There's going to be maybe some guy that was drafted in the uh, second round who might turn out to be the best player in this draft seven, eight years from now. We don't know. We don't know. We're going to have to find out. But uh, the only thing I will say, moving on from the NBA draft, is the fact that, look, you have Jay Billis, I think, who does an excellent job breaking down the college players. But Jay Billis is not watching Orlando Magic Basketball. Jay Billis does a ton of college basketball games for ESPN. His forte, he is paid to be an expert. Not a guy who knows this stuff very good, but an expert in terms of giving his thoughts and opinions about college basketball for ESPN, which is paying him, I'm quite sure, a very handsome salary to make sure that he can tell us all about teams and players in college basketball. So Jay Billis... On top of being a lawyer, which makes him a very intelligent man, Jay Billis, I'm, I'm quite sure that Jay Billis is not watching Indiana Pacers basketball with any type of um, consistency. Nor is he watching Sacramento Kings basketball or Oklahoma City basketball or Orlando Magic basketball or this season the Houston Rockets basketball. Now, he might be into Charlotte, the uh, Charlotte Hornets basketball because he lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. But, you know, mo- most of these teams, he's not watching the Washington Wizards. He- he's just not because he's too busy preparing for the college basketball game that he has to uh, call. He's following the college basketball world. So when Jay Billis, when these players are drafted, Jay Billis can break it down in terms of this player, this is his strength, this is his weaknesses. Why? Because I've watched this guy. I've watched this kid. If this guy's a freshman or a sophomore or a junior, some of the times, I mean, Jay Billis can break it down to say, look, I've been watching this kid. This guy's been on my radar in terms of me following him and learning about this game and speaking with him and doing all the things to get to know him as a player and a person. I've known this guy since he was a sophomore in high school, since he was 15 years old. So, yeah, I have six, seven years of intel on who this guy is as a person and a player to break down. This is his, These are his strengths. And these are his weaknesses. But to tell you how he's going to fit with the Toronto Raptors, I have no idea because I'm quite sure I haven't watched about a half an hour's worth of Toronto Raptors basketball. 
I can guarantee you right now that, uh, you know, I live on the East Coast on a Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday night when it's uh, 10.30 in the evening. I'm not sitting around watching Sacramento Kings basketball. Not interested in watching the Sacramento Kings play the Los Angeles Clippers at, you know, at 11.30 at night on a Tuesday because I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. So that's not happening. So I really can't break down how this guy is going to fit with the Kings or with the Pacers or with the Wizards or with the Rockets or with the Timberwolves or with the Grizzlies or any of these guys because I haven't seen any of those guys. So I can give you the intel and the detail very expertly on these guys as college basketball players and their strengths and weaknesses, both from a personal and a professional standpoint or a, a playing and a character standpoint. But as far as meshing them into how this guy's going to be doing, nah, ain't going to be going there. And Kendrick Perkins, on the other hand, who is paid handsomely by ESPN, I'm, I'm quite sure that he's paid handsomely by ESPN to go on first take and um, in, in the Mike Greenberg show and such to give his thoughts and opinions in the NBA jump with Malika Andrews. Ooh, lucky man. To be on that show and other shows and to be on ESPN Sports Center and such to talk about the goings on, the everyday goings on in the NBA. Quite sure Kendrick Perkins does not have a time or is not carving out some time to watch Pac 12 basketball or Big 12 basketball or Big East basketball or ACC basketball. I mean, he might catch Duke, North Carolina. If there's an exciting game on between two ranked teams, he might go ahead and check that out. But I'm going to uh, go on a limb. I'm going to go on a limb and say that Kendrick Perkins is not watching Oregon State play Washington on a Thursday or Saturday night. I'm going to go on a limb and say that, you know what, I don't think Kendrick Perkins is watching Penn State versus North Carolina or Penn State versus uh, Northwestern in basketball. I'm going to go on a limb and say that uh, on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night or whatever week uh, week uh, weekend night, I'm quite sure that Kendrick Perkins is not watching Kansas State play Kansas State play West Virginia. So, you know, in terms of who these players are, whether they are coming out of Wisconsin, whether they're coming out of Duke, whether they're coming out of Auburn, whether they're coming out of Gonzaga, whether they're coming out of UCLA, in a few years when the plethora of great Georgetown Hoya basketball program uh, players are going to be coached by America's coach Patrick Ewing and get them ready for the NBA to be first-round draft picks in the 2024 and 25 bet drafts when the when the you know, when the Georgetown players are rip roaring and ready to go to make their impact on the NBA being coached by Ewing, and they're going to be... <laughs> oh, I can't even say this with a straight face. When they're going to be drafted in the lottery picks and all those type of things, of course, your Kendrick Perkins is not going to be sitting around saying, yeah, because I saw Brandon Murray of Georgetown University play 15 times this season. I can break down exactly what he's all about. Yeah, because um, I saw Primo Spears who was the player of the year for Georgetown under the tutelage of Patrick Ewing and living in Northwest Washington, D.C. So I've seen him play 20, 25 times so I could break down his game. And now, since I know what's happening in the NBA, I can tell you because of his skill set, the reason why the Houston Rockets or the San Antonio Spurs or the Indiana Pacers or the Sacramento Kings who are drafting in the lottery for the 18th straight year, this is the reason why Primo Spears, this is the reason why Brandon Murray, this is the reason why Akuka Cook, this is the reason why Devontae Harris, this is the reason why Dante Harris, this is the reason why all these Georgetown guys who are going to be drafted 
in the first round lottery picks, this is how they're going to fit. Kendrick Perkins does not have the ability to do that because he's not watching college basketball, just like Jay Billis cannot tell us the fit of a college basketball player going into the NBA because he has not watched any of the NBA games. So I, the, the great thing about the NFL when um, Mel Kuyper giving us his scoop and giving us his analysis is because Mel Kuyper is very adept and very uh, knowledgeable of not only the college players in football, but he watches enough pro football every Sunday that he can say, yeah, this guy at Wisconsin was a great 3-4, was a great lineman in the 3-4 defense. So, you know, going to this team who runs a 3-4 and with him situated next to blah, 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 that he's going to be able to go ahead and do this because in the conference that he's going to, to where, you know, he's going to be playing against this team and that team. And if he's going to be starting on the left end, that he's going to be going up against this offensive tackle for the Bengals or the Steelers or whatever. Because I am knowledgeable of not only what's happening in college football with the players, the top players, the uh, draft prospects and such. Not only am I knowledgeable with those guys, but because I watch and follow and study enough NFL football that I can easily talk about how this college football player is going to adapt to the NFL game. Or at least I can give the best analysis in terms of guys who are breaking down the NFL draft. So Mel Kuyper is uh, very valuable during the NFL draft. And that one makes him, you know, that's what makes him who he is along with Todd Shea and others. We don't have that in the NBA. There's just too many games in college and pro for someone to not only follow the college basketball uh, teams and players and break them down, but then also watch enough NBA basketball or league pass to say this is how this guy is going to be able to fit with this NBA team because Lord knows that I've watched about 45 Sacramento Kings basketball games or I've watched 52 uh, Oklahoma City basketball games and I can tell you where this player from Colorado State or from Washington State or from Clemson or from Kentucky, Auburn, whatever can fit in. So it's just... It's just that deal with the uh, it's just that deal with the NFL and NBA draft and the differences and such that I find entertaining and uh, and kind of enlightening. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I've gone 18 minutes talking about this, but um, let's go ahead and get to it, shall we? Because you know when we're speaking about the biggest news in sports, when we're speaking about you know the 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 seismic shift that happened in terms of uh, what went down in the world of the in the world of sports without question without any question at all the biggest most important most unbelievable news in the world of sports globally with a global icon deciding that you know what enough is enough time for me to take my talents elsewhere you got it. It was this news right here. About Cristiano Ronaldo, we're very much looking forward to what Jan has to say about everything that's gone on over the weekend where we've learned that Cristiano Ronaldo has told Manchester United he wants to leave this summer if the right bid comes in. Jan, is this not a kick up the backside for Manchester United to do everything they can to keep hold of this player? There you go. 
There you go. Cristiano Ronaldo requests Manchester United transfer to play for the Champions League. Made an official request to leave Manchester United this summer so he can continue to play Champions League football next season. He returned, speaking of Ronaldo, returned to United a year ago for a second stint and scored 18 goals and 30 league appearances. But guess what? Ronaldo, who's 37 years old, he wants to finish in the Premier League because the team that he played for, Manchester, did not qualify for next season's elite European club competition. But sources have told ESPN that United has informed Ronaldo that no, 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 no. He is not available for a transfer this summer. And we expect you to uh, stay for the remaining year of his contract. My goodness gracious. What in the world is going on in the global world of football with going on with a global icon with Cristiano, Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo? My goodness, what in the Lionel Messi is going on? Yes, I wanted to get that out there in terms of the big deal because my podcast is global. So when someone such as the stature of a Cristiano Ronaldo is making noise like this, I have to get that out there. But since I don't know anything about football in terms of the European football, I have to move on to talk about the other impact, global impactful news that came from the world of sports today. Yes, I'm speaking about Kevin Durant warning out of Brooklyn. Thursday, Kevin Durant requested a trade from the Brooklyn Nets. His business manager, Rich Kleiman, told ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, Nets general manager Sean Marks, currently, right now, is working with Durant and Kleiman on finding a trade, and this is what Kleiman told ESPN, the Phoenix Suns and the Miami Heat are among the teams Durant has had on his wish list for a potential trade. The Nets are not tied, of course, to honoring any of Durant's preferred destinations and plan to make a deal that follows them that allows them the greatest return of assets. This is not a situation like Anthony Davis, where when Davis was with the New Orleans Pelicans, he was like, look, man, I got one year left on my contract, and I'm not coming back. I'm going to the Los Angeles Lakers, so you should be able, so you should go ahead and try to do the best that you can to uh, send me to the Lakers because I'm going there on free agency anyway. So instead of losing me for nothing, you might try to get something for me you know, and as I mentioned before, I'm telling you this now, so, you know, you should be giving me a high five and doing the James Brown with me. Also, when Carmelo Anthony was with the Denver Nuggets long ago, where he said, look, I'm going to be a free agent this upcoming season. I'm not coming back to Denver. I want to go to the New York Knicks, so you guys better get in contact with Donnie Walsh, then the GM of the Knicks, and make something happen because I am not coming back. The difference here is that Kevin Durant has signed a four-year contract. He still has four years remaining on his contract. So this is not a situation where Kevin Durant has one year left with the next Nets, and he's like, look, I'm going to either the Phoenix Suns or the Miami Heat. Make it happen, or else you're going to lose me for nothing. Right now, the Brooklyn Nets have all of the cards in their hand. They have the winning cards to say, look, man, we don't need to trade you anywhere where you want to go. And, and besides that, why would we? Heaven sakes alive, we moved heaven and earth to get you to be on this team and to make make you as happy as possible. And then now three years in, you're asking for a trade? 
basically blowing up this entire process that we had and hopefully turning the Brooklyn Nets into an, an NBA champion or an NBA contender for real for years to come. The moves that we made, the trades that we made, the assets that we gave up, the trade picks that we gave up, everything that we gave up, the coaches that we gave up to make you and Kyrie and then James Harden happy. happy. And now, are you saying in less than 18 months, we're not going to have James Harden, we're not going to have Kyrie Irving, and now we're not going to have you, Kevin Durant? And you're talking about you want to dictate in terms of where you want to go? No, man, fuck you. We're going to, you know what, if the best situation for the Brooklyn Nets is the Indiana Pacers, guess what? We're going to be trading you down to Indiana. If the best situation for the Brooklyn Nets is to trade you to NBA Siberia, which is the Sacramento Kings, well then guess what? That's where you're going to be going. So you might not like it, but it's a situation where, hey man, come on, give me a a flipping break. So, you know, mentioned before, here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace, Phoenix, one of the de- preferred destinations. Why is it a preferred destination, the Phoenix Suns, for Kevin Durant? It's a situation where, um, number one, they're damn good. And a team that would have Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, and Devin Booker on it would automatically be a uh, one of the high favorites, one of the be one of the uh, favorites to win an NBA championship, but also one of the reasons, as it was reported by Sam Anik of The Athletic, is because of the close relationship that Kevin Durant has with Monty Williams, the head coach of the Suns, who was an assistant with the Oklahoma City Thunder in the 2015-16 season, and their bond grew deeper, their friendship grew deeper, after uh, Williams' wife was killed in a car accident in February of 2016. So, look, man, speaking to a couple of NBA general managers, Mark Spears, reporter for ESPN, outlined basically what the Nets are looking for, and they're taking their time. This is another situation where they need to make something happen now, so they're going to wait, or they're going to do, uh, not be in a rush. They're going to try to get the best deal possible, because after all, you are, after all, you are speaking about Kevin Durant. So, um, Spears, he was on the NBA Jump Show. He was talking about, look, man, what the New York, or excuse me, what the Brooklyn Nets are looking for, a young or future all-star, lots of picks, the ability to swap picks, and another starter. And if you take a look at some of the things that went down in terms of, you know, trades in NBA history when you're dealing with a player of such magnitude and such superstardom and such impact that he can have on a team in Kevin Durant, and you speak about the history of the NBA, what the... Brooklyn Nets, uh, Sean Marks is asking for when you're speaking about young future all-stars, uh, lots of picks, swap picks, and other starters. It's, it's not too much to be asking. It shouldn't be unrealistic. It shouldn't be ridiculous in terms of, or or, uh, or uh, out of bounds in terms of what Sean Marks is asking for when you're speaking about some of the assets that he needs in return for them to deal Kevin Durant, who... Yeah, he might be 14 years into the league, and he's 34 years old, but also you have to remember that this is a guy who also missed two complete seasons because of injury one year with the Oklahoma City Thunder where when he broke his foot and also a couple of years ago when he was coming off the Achilles injury. Um, but, uh, yes, he's still one of the guys that when he's right and when he's going, when he's good to go, when he's Kevin Durant, 
I think that he's got another two or three years left in them to where he can easily be a top 10 player, easily. And we're speaking about for the next couple of years, if you surround him with the talent that is the Phoenix Suns. And also, let's not forget the fantastic athletic staff, training staff that Phoenix has at their disposal in terms of the um, the medical team that he has, that the uh, franchise has employed. And you're speaking about some of the great things that they did to prolong the career of Grant Hill and Shaquille O'Neal and others. I mean, this is a situation where we could be having Kevin Durant for the next two years be a top five player in the NBA and maybe maybe possibly even a pseudo-MVP candidate if you're speaking about a guy, Kevin Durant, who can play anywhere between 65 and 70 games. I, I don't think moving forward in his career right now that Kevin Durant's going to be playing anywhere close to 82 games. We don't need for him to do that. But, hey, man, if Kevin Durant can go ahead and uh, play anywhere between 60 and 68 games for the remainder of his career, that's going to be good enough, especially if you're speaking about placing him on a team as talented as the uh, Phoenix Suns for the next two or three years. So all of this is to say that, look, um, Sean Marks of the Nets, I mean, we're, we're not going to rush and trade this guy. We're not going to do, we're, we, we, don't, we don't have the urgency to trade him because as I mentioned before, we are in control of this because of the four years that Kevin Durant has on this contract. This is not Kawhi Leonard with the San Antonio Spurs where one year later he's going to be moving on and he does not want to play in San Antonio. So they had to go ahead and scurry and make a deal with the uh, Toronto Raptors to get DeMar DeRozan and Yaka Pertle in a trade that sent, uh, Toronto, that sent um, Kawhi Leonard to Toronto where ultimately that one year he was there led them to a championship before he went back home and played with the Los Angeles Clippers even though he makes his off-season residence in San Diego. In fact, even during the season, he lives in San Diego. He commutes from San Diego to L.A. Woo, okay. But um, getting back to Kevin Durant. So, yeah, so Sean Marks and and, um, the Nets organization as such, they're not in any, they're not in any dire need or straight to trade Kevin Durant. And and here's another thing. I mean, it's a situation where, look, man, we could even go into training camp and still have this with us because, again, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? What leverage do you have? I mean, with the contract that you're making, the money that you're making, what are you going to do? You're going to sit out? I don't think so. So, hey, man, there's a situation where the Brooklyn Nets have all the cards and Sean Marks is going to play them and try to get as much in return on that dollar as he can. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, it was strange, man. I guess the first question that you're asking is, other than because he's Kevin Durant, why exactly does Kevin Durant want to be traded again? Um, it's the situation where, look, the initial reports where his relationship with Kyrie Irving hit a blow, everything that went down last uh, season with Kyrie Irving not wanting to get vaccinated. So because of that, according to uh, the rules and the laws and regulations of New York City that he could not participate he could not play he could not practice with the uh, Brooklyn Nets in the city of New York City he could not play in the uh, couldn't play the home game so he missed a boatload of, of games there and that whole situation of him not getting vaccinated and 
And that led to a situation where Kevin Durant was like, damn, man, so let me see one thing. I was with a championship-winning team with the Golden State Warriors. You come to me, my homeboy, my, my fella, my Negro, and you're up there talking about, hey, man, you know, I got this deal in terms of we can go to the Brooklyn Nets, and I know that you've always wanted to build your own championship and not and, and shake off the nonsense and the narrative that you needed to join the Golden State Warriors to win yourself a championship, so... Join me, follow me, we'll bring in DeAndre, we can go to Brooklyn, we can go ahead and establish our own legacy in terms of upping the New York Knicks, who were a foothold, who were cemented foundation as far as basketball is concerned in the city of the Boogie Down, so we can go there, we can do our thing, and we can, you know, be Kumbaya, we can be bros, and we can be Kobe and Shaq, we can be Scotty and Michael, we can be those... We could be that tandem that's going to uh, do something great in the number one media market in the world, which in turn for you can up your brand even more. And for me, it would be an awesome homecoming since I was spent my uh, decent amount of my youth in the New York, New Jersey area. So all of that stuff was presented to Kevin Durant and this was great and this was wonderful and we were planning for years when I was with Golden State and Kyrie was with Boston that ultimately we would team up together and be great and be fantastic and we would be, you know, champions and all this kind of stuff. And less than two years later or less than three years later, Kyrie Irving is talking about, yeah, is there any way to get me out of here because I want to play in Los Angeles? I want to play for the Lakers. So, yeah, reluctantly, I'll sign in... I'll opt into the $36.5 million contract, not because it's, oh boy, I can't wait to get this contract extension from Brooklyn so I can stay here. It's a situation of, no, I'm not leaving $30 million on the table, and I can get my money and my preferred destination also. And Kevin Durant's like, preferred destination? Motherfucker, I thought your preferred destination was right here. So that was the narrative that was being built in terms of why Kevin Durant wanted to leave. His relationship frayed with Kyrie Irving, now with Kyrie Irving looking to move somewhere else, looking to establish his talent somewhere else, that now he's like, man, well, I'm not going to be here all by myself. My homeboys DeAndre and Kyrie are gone. What am I going to be doing here? That was a narrative. That's what I thought. That's what you thought. Didn't you think that? That was like the, um, that was like the leading reason why? Well, really, I was, I was reading something to where... Um, this was a situation where, no, it wasn't, a, it, you know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, those two still want to play together, but they just don't want to play together with the Brooklyn Nets. So this is a situation where we thought that Kevin Durant wanted nothing to do with Kyrie Irving, and that's the reason why he wanted to be traded. Oh, no, 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 no. Those two are, those two, those two are still homeboys. Those two, reportedly, I'm assuming, are still tight. They still want to play with each other. They just don't want to do it for the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, man, 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 man. This is, uh, it's like, good Lord have mercy. It's like, what, what what are we doing here, man? What are we doing? What are we doing for Kevin Durant's legacy? What are we doing with Kyrie Irving? What are we doing with the Brooklyn Nets? What, what, what is going on with this team? What is going on? With these fellas, man, it's, it's unbelievable. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, get this. Did you read this also? Did you read this? That there's a situation where, I forgot who reported it. I saw it on Bleacher Report. Um, 
that there's a possibility that the Golden State Warriors might get into this. Because, no, no, hold on, hold on for a second. Think about this, think about this. Look, Phoenix, they've got the draft picks. They've got the situation with DeAndre Ayton where they could sign and trade him to the Brooklyn Nets. Um, They have, as I mentioned before, all their first-round draft picks for years to come. And they also have a plethora of young talent to which the Brooklyn Nets can pluck from, excluding Devin Booker, who just signed a max contract, so you couldn't trade him anyway because he's off the books for that for six years and or six months, excuse me. And the um, Phoenix Suns wouldn't be stupid enough to uh, trade Devin Booker right now. So the Phoenix Suns, the players that are available, you've got Landry Shamit, you got Dario Saric, you got Campaign, you got Jay Crowder, you have Cam Johnson, but you also have Mikael Bridges. So it could be a situation where would a package which includes DeAndre Ayton, Cam Johnson, Mikael Bridges, and a boatload of draft picks for Kevin Durant, would would that work? And Kevin Durant some other collateral damage to uh, make sure that the contracts uh, even out correctly? Would, would Sean Marks and the Brooklyn Nets do that? With DeAndre Ayton being the centerpiece, are you comfortable if you're the Brooklyn Nets, not only the organization, but the players and the fan base and the season ticket holders and the advertisers? Are you comfortable? Are you positive that DeAndre Ayton is the answer? Because basically it's Kevin Durant. When you when you weigh the magnitude of this trade, and you're speaking about Kevin Durant for DeAndre Ayton and Mikael Bridges. Those are really the two. Those are really the two when you're speaking about a trade for Kevin Durant. Those are the those are the leading actor in this co-actor, right? I mean, if you're trading Denzel and you're going to be getting, you're you're hoping that if you're going to be making a movie and you're going to be trading Denzel, you're hopefully going to be getting someone like a Tom Hanks. But if you can't get someone like a Tom Hanks, which means equal value. You're going to have to somehow maybe kind of flip the script and redo the script and make it to where two of those actors not equaling Denzel can add up to a story that's going to be just as great as the story you had when Denzel was in it. So you had Denzel, you're trading him to the you're trading him to the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns, they don't want to give up Tom Hanks. Um but we do have I'm not going to say Leonardo DiCaprio, Jesus. But, but, but we do have Jamie Foxx that's available. And if you throw in Jamie Foxx and... Um, do, 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 do. <laughs> What's another actor of any type of... Uh, uh, I don't know, man. Well, basically what I'm saying is... I don't know. I, I maybe need to go watch more movies. But uh, basically, look, if I'm going to be trading Denzel to the uh, Phoenix Suns, I need, like, you know what I'm talking about? I need Jamie Foxx and I need... Uh, not Brokeen Woodbine, he sucks. But uh, you know what I'm talking about. I need some equal value in terms of that trade. So would that be enough? Because if the Brooklyn Nets, you still have Ben Simmons on the team. So would a team of DeAndre Ayton, Ben Simmons, Steph, uh, Steph Curry's brother, Steph Curry, um, Mikhail Bridges, and somebody else, would that be enough? If you're Brooklyn moving forward, if you're speaking about Brooklyn starting over again, and depending also what you get from the Kyrie Irving trade from the Lakers or whoever he wants to be traded to or whatever you can uh, find a trading spot for. If we're speaking about the only team that's interested in Kyrie is the Los Angeles Lakers 
and you trade Irving to the Lakers, and it's going to be a three-way deal in terms of of a three-team deal for the Nets to get what they want. I don't know what that would be. I mean, I, I, I cannot, I could not fathom any way, shape, or form the Brooklyn Nets saying, okay, we'll trade Kyrie to uh, the Lakers and we'll take Russell Westbrook in his $47.1 million contract, even though the last year of that contract, $47.1 million for this season, I cannot, cannot fathom, cannot imagine the Brooklyn Nets doing something like that. Besides that, also, um, there's an $11 million difference between Kyrie's contract and Russell Westbrook's contract. So I would have no idea how that would work. Again, you would have to get a third team involved. So all of this stuff is just to say, look, man, we, we don't know exactly what's going to be happening with the Phoenix Suns, if that can be done, saying that's Kevin Durant's preferred destination. The other destination, speaking about the Miami Heat, when you're speaking about what do they have to give, the Miami Heat do not have the assets to give up. Bam on the Bayou. Everybody talks about Bam on the Bayou and how that could not work because an NBA rule that regulates saying that uh, a player that's still on his rookie deal, if the player signs a rookie contract extension that you cannot trade, you cannot have two of those type of players on your team. The Nets made that trade with Philadelphia, sending James Harden to the 76ers for Ben Simmons in return. So that's their one player that they traded for. So it would make them ineligible to acquire Bam out of Bayou in any situation because he's also on a extension from his rookie deal. So you can't have two of those players. You can't trade for two of those players. So Bam out of Bayou, unless you trade Ben Simmons, is unavailable and would a trade surrounding with the with the centerpiece being Bam on the Bayou, is that something that's super attractive if you're going to be trading somebody like a Kevin Durant? Because all you have to do is kind of remember the inconsistent lack of impact that Bam on the Bayou had in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Boston Celtics to say, if I want to trade someone like a Kevin Durant, my centerpiece for a trade is going to be Bam on the Bayou? And who else? You're not if you're rebuilding, you're not gonna want Jimmy Butler. Rebuilding or not rebuilding, you don't want Kyle Lowry. Who who's else who else for the Miami Heat is going to be attractive for the Brooklyn Nets when you're trading someone like a Kevin Durant if the centerpiece somehow, some way you can get Bam out of Bayou? I mean, who else is on that who else on the Miami Heat team can you pluck? What Tyler Hero? Duncan Robinson? Max Struess? Uh, 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 you know, two or three players uh, uh, with with a without a Bayou. I mean, how many draft picks do the Miami Heat have available? So that that for me, and especially you're going to have Kevin Durant in the Eastern Conference too. So th- that for me would be a definite definite that ain't happening. So you know, I go back to again the Golden State Warriors. I mean, there's who who knows what Bob Myers and Joe Lacob are going to do in terms of uh, what they can put together for that. But, man, we're, we're speaking about a situation where why not, right? Why not? Because if you think about it, the Warriors have the best package available or one of the best packages available, especially since the New Orleans Pelicans took themselves out of the running when they signed Zion Williams to that uh, Supermax contract. So it's a situation now when you're speaking about the Golden State Warriors and the opportunity for them to be reunited with Kevin Durant. You're speaking about a situation where, look, man, the Warriors have Jordan Poole, 
Andrew Wiggins, Jonathan Kaminga, and James Weissman, all available in draft picks, all available for the Brooklyn Nets if they want to go ahead and uh, make this type of offer, if they want to go ahead and um, see what they can do. And if you're Kevin Durant, I mean, why not? If I can't get to Phoenix and I can't get to... If I can't get to Phoenix and I can't get to um, Miami, why wouldn't I want to go to uh, Golden State? And if you're Steph Curry and Draymond and Clay, again, he's got four more years left on his contract. We, we don't know, A, if Jordan Poole is going to re-sign with the uh, Golden State Warriors moving forward. He's eligible for a contract extension this summer. Um, and there's been reports from Connor Letourneau of the San Francisco Chronicle that... Uh, you're speaking about a contract extension for Jordan Poole that would be somewhere around four years, $100 million. Is Jordan Poole a $100 million, 25 per year average type of player? You're speaking about them throwing out a big bag to Andrew Wiggins. I mean, you know, Andrew Wiggins is in a great situation being the third or fourth guy. You give Andrew Wiggins a big contract bump or you give him a big money bump that also comes with higher uh, expectations, especially when you're speaking about players like Clay and Draymond. If they get a little bit older, Steph is going to maintain because of how he plays and the way his game is situated. Well, we saw the inconsistencies in the NBA Finals of Clay Thompson and the Draymond Green. That money that's going to be spent to Andrew Wiggins to possibly in another year or two or three be the guy that's going to supersede in terms of expectations and responsibilities are concerned. With the Warriors, Andrew Wiggins is going to have a bigger part. He's going to have to play a bigger role. He's going to have to have a bigger impact than Clay or Draymond. Are you comfortable that Andrew Wiggins can be that transition guy to keep the Golden State Warriors NBA champion competing? Are you comfortable that Andrew Wiggins can be the number two guy in a situation like that? I'm not. Jonathan Kaminga, James Weissman. We don't know about James Weissman. We didn't see him at all this season because of injury. We'll see how he looks in summer league. Jonathan Kaminga, show promise. But, um, you know, if you're the Warriors, would you turn down an opportunity of knowing what you had both on a professional and personal level because you had a relationship before with Kevin Durant for a few years? If Kevin Durant's like, fuck it, I'll go back and win a few more championships with y'all, why not? If Kevin Durant is down with that, if you're the Golden State Warriors, are you willing to part with a Jordan Poole, a Kaminga, a Wiggins? If Kevin Durant's on board, and if I'm Golden State, and Steph and Clay and Draymond say, "Hell yeah, let's do this," if I'm the owner of the, um, if I'm the owner of the Golden State Warriors, if I'm Jacob, if I'm Jacob Lakeup, I go to Bob Myers and say, "Yeah, let's get this shit done. Get it done, baby." So that would be another situation. And then if that happens, I think the whole league would explode in terms of, I cannot fucking believe this. This is unfucking believable. So, you know, it's a situation where, look, man, Kevin Durant, the Brooklyn Nets, they're going to slow play this because they can. There's a few months before training camp even begins. So there's no urgency for the Brooklyn Nets to rush into something. They can take their time. And then after all, and, and again, this is Kevin Durant. It was reported by, um, by, I think what Windhorse was uh, speaking about, Brian Windhorse of ESPN. He was speaking about teams would call up Golden, uh, excuse me, teams would call up Brooklyn 
and make an offer. And Sean Marks would say, well, we'll take that into consideration. Uh, don't call us. We'll call you. We'll get back when we need to. We're going to, you know, other things going around. So uh, we'll keep in touch. Bye. Then a few hours later, that same team would call up and sweeten the deal even more in terms of saying, oh, well, oh how about this? How about this deal, uh, Sean? And the second deal would be better than the first deal. And it's like, well, wait a minute. We didn't say yay or nay on the first deal. So Kevin Durant is so important that a few hours later, you're coming back to improve the deal even more. When I gave you no indication that we would accept, take the deal, not accept the deal, whatever. That's how important Kevin Durant is to your team, to your franchise, to the league. You bet your bottom valley well. So, yeah, man, it's a, it's a situation where it's crazy, man. The Kyrie Irving deal. I don't want to get into Kyrie. I, I just don't. I'm tired of Kyrie. Kyrie is Kyrie. Kyrie is going to do what Kyrie wants to do. Kyrie is a guy where I don't know, man. We talk about Kevin Durant being a diva. I've said this before, and I'll say it all again. Kevin Durant can be the biggest diva that he wants to be. Kevin Durant can do what he wants to do. Kevin Durant can give us all of the headaches and the heartaches when he's the player that uh, he can. Kevin Durant can put anybody, any team, any franchise, any organization on eggshells from day to day because you don't know what you're getting with Kevin Durant Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I mean, it's a situation where... I don't know, man. Kevin Durant is a hard guy to please, but I will tell you this. Everything that Kevin Durant puts an organization through, it is worth it. (laughs) Same thing with LeBron, man. LeBron can drive, I'm quite sure LeBron drives owners and general managers crazy with his bullshit. But for the past, I don't know, 16, 17 years, 18 years with LeBron, all the drama, all the nonsense that comes with dealing with LeBron James and having him as a teammate or as an employee for your team, it is worth it. Same thing with Kevin Durant. It ain't the same thing with Kyrie Irving. I, I, I watch Kyrie Irving is just so... Man, Kevin, Kyrie Irving is like... Kyrie Irving is like that... Just that beautiful, beautiful, beautiful woman. I mean, Kyrie Irving is like... It's like throwing out like Malika Andrews, Alexa Bliss, Monica Bellucci, Halle Berry, uh, uh, you know, just name, just name yourself the most beautiful female that you can speak of, and she's a crackhead, or or you know, name name your fella in terms of a guy who you think is the most sexiest, handsomest guy that you can think of. I don't know anybody. Uh, besides me, yeah, but you know, just ladies, just think of the guy to where it's kind of like, man, you want to see that guy, you want to roll over there, and you want to rip his clothes off, and you want to take him to your bedroom, and you want him to do everything humanly possible to you in the boudoir, in an intimate setting that's going to set your heart ablaze and get your loins aloining, and then think of that guy, and then just say, also, he'll beat the living shit out of you on a consistent basis. I mean, it's just like Kyrie is just so damn fucking talented, man. But dealing with this guy, it just gets to be too much. It gets to be too much. You know, and that's what Kyrie is all about, man. It's, and it's like, how many examples are we going to have? But, you know, no matter how crazy, no matter how much of, of a bitch, no matter how much of a loon, no matter how crazy a female is, that if she is great looking, if she's sexy as hell and can do the job in bed, 
that despite all of her faults, despite all of her flaws, and despite knowing what you're getting into, you can't resist that putang, man. You can't resist that female. You can't resist those looks. You can't resist her her touch. You just can't resist her smell. You just can't resist when she's wearing high heels. You just can't resist when she's wearing tight clothes. You just can't resist when she's showing things off. It's like, yeah, I know this bitch is crazy. Yeah, I know this bitch is going to send me for a ride. Yeah, I know this girl ain't good for me, but I don't give a fuck because the sex and the female is so damn good, I cannot help it. It's the same thing with the fellas. Yeah, I know this motherfucker's going to cheat on me. Yeah, I know this guy's going to physically and mentally abuse me. Yeah, I know this guy is no good for me. Yeah, I know this guy's going to make my life a living hell. Yeah, I know this guy is going to drain my bank accounts. Yeah, I know this guy is going to be the worst thing for me. But take a look at this guy, man. Take a look at his muscles. Take a look at his face. Take a look. I remember the last time that we had sex. Woo! Jesus fucking A Christ, it was the best sex that I ever had. So I'm willing, hopefully, maybe, possibly, it'll change. Despite the fact to the contrary that it's not. That's what you're getting with Kyrie Irving. The man is so fucking talented as a basketball player. And I know how this bullshit is going to end. I know he's going to wreck my organization. I know as a coach he's going to get me fired. I know that it's going to end up badly in the end. I know this. But man, maybe this time it'll be different. Yeah, I I know that during his prime with LeBron and those teams in Cleveland winning championships that he wanted to be traded. And then he was traded to Boston and talked about how wonderful it was to play for such a cerebral coach like Brad Stevens taking a shot at Tyron Lue when he was a coach with the Cleveland Cavaliers and how wonderful it was to play with Boston and how he told the fan base and the season ticket holders that he was going to sign with these guys, sign a long-term contract, and he was going to be there forever before the mood changed and he basically sabotaged the ceiling, uh, the, the season. Yes, I know that he went to Brooklyn and, oh, I'm back home and this is great and this is wonderful. And then, you know, he took an unannounced hiatus from the Nets during the 2021 season and then basically quit on his team when he wouldn't get vaccinated. And now he wants out of uh, Brooklyn, which sabotaged everything that Brooklyn did to try to make him happy. We we know that eventually when he goes to the Lakers, if he goes to the Lakers, we know even with LeBron and AD and him saying that I want to go here, I want to go here, and LeBron was right back in the day and I was immature and I should have listened to him and I apologized when he was trying to tell me things and I wasn't listening and I wanted to do my own thing. Yes, I've I, I learned from all of those things. And now I'm willing to acquiesce. Now I'm willing to be a good teammate and blah, blah, blah. Despite all of those things that Kyrie might be thinking, we know how this is going to end. We know how Kyrie and the Lakers are going to end. When the Lakers, if the Lakers acquire Kyrie, oh my goodness, the Lakers are back. They're going to be um, NBA contenders and all this type of thing. You know Kyrie isn't going to let that happen. And you know how this is. You know how this plays out. Kyrie's going to start the season and he's going to be fantastic. He's going to be awesome. And the Lakers are going to jump out and they're going to be great. And the Lakers are going to be like, oh my goodness, the Lakers fans. and This is so wonderful and this is so awesome. I told you Kyrie has found the light and he's matured and he's in a position and he's in a situation and he's in an environment which he respects and he can thrive in, and this is awesome, and this is great, and we're going to be winning the championship, and the Lakers are back. And then by 
February, March, and April when Kyrie is pouting and him and LeBron are having Twitter comments that are going to reminding people of Kobe and Shaq near the end and the Lakers are floundering and everybody's going to hate this team because of the bickering and the body language and the eye rolling and the attitude and the lack of chemistry that they have all created by Kyrie or if Kyrie gets injured and he's going to miss multitudes of games and the Lakers instead of being NBA contenders are going to be sitting in the play-in game or somewhere in the 7th or 8th seed and the pundits are going to be bending over backwards and trying to pretzel their words to you know, give Laker fans hope that possibly maybe that if Kyrie comes back and he can get back together with LeBron on the mental and LeBron and AD can figure it out with Tyree and Kyrie that the Lakers are going to have an opportunity to still make some noise in the playoffs and then what's going to be happening by the end of April when the Lakers are going to be bounced from the playoffs if they make it and the LA fans are going to have enough. The team amongst each other are going to be like sick and tired of each other. And there's going to be Kyrie sitting there talking about, wow, what happened? We told you what was going to happen. (laughs) So, hey, man, that's just the way it goes, man. That's just the way it is. So it's just crazy. It's just interesting. The NBA season, it keeps us uh, going, right? But just when you thought that it was just going to be about NBA, NBA, NBA in terms of, man, this is crazy, this is wild, this is ludicrous, and I'm not talking about the rapper in terms of uh, Kevin Durant or free agency. I haven't even gotten to Bradley Beal's contract extension. I haven't gotten to the Chicago Bulls re-signing Zach Levine. I haven't gotten to the Minnesota Timberwolves trading for Rudy Gobert and putting Carl Anthony Towns at the power forward position. I haven't got to any of those things, right? I'll get to those in another podcast, plenty of time. But now, we also, in terms of what's happening here in this country, in terms of the sporting news, the NBA, yeah, things are just going hot and heavy and crazy. But college football said, you think that uh, you're going to be dominating the news? You think that you're going to be getting all the shine? You think that the spotlight is going to be shown on you and you only? (laughs) Watch this. Last segment of the podcast, last segment of the program, Wendell's World of Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Remember, this is the audio episode of Wendell's World of Sports. If you're listening to this on Spotify or iTunes or iHeart or um, Amazon, wherever you're listening to, if you could just go ahead again, like, subscribe, download, rate, review, comment, most importantly, I hope that you're enjoying this episode. I'm going to be doing another episode, basically talking about the same thing, but there's some, some more points that I want to throw in from a video uh, standpoint, which 
is going to be on my uh, YouTube channel, Wendell's World of Sports. If you want to go over there, I'll be publishing that probably um, a Tuesday afternoon. This will be published either Monday night or early Tuesday morning, depending upon where you're listening to or where you're, wherever you are in the uh, in the uh, planet Earth. But uh, yeah, man, if you would just uh, go ahead and do those type of things, I would very much appreciate it. I mentioned before the situation about college football saying, wait, wait a minute, man, to the NBA that, uh, you know, you think that you're going to get all the shine, you think that you're going to get all the attention with this Kevin Durant wanting to be traded and all the drama that's going down with that. The Pac-12, or most uh, most importantly, UCLA and USC said, hold on for a second. Let me go ahead and call it the Big Ten because uh, we're looking to move. We're looking to do something else in terms of... Uh, of, um, you know, where we're going to be playing our conference games and what conference that we're going to be in. So, guess what, man? The news hit, and the news hit uh, pretty hard when you're speaking about what happened. For the second straight summer, pair of Blue Blood sports programs. If you remember last summer, it was the announcement that Texas, the University of Texas and Oklahoma were going to be leaving the Big 12 and going to the SEC in a couple of years. Well, this time around, this summer, UCLA and USC from the Pac-12, they said that, you know what, we are going to be going to the Big 10 and we're going to be doing that in a couple of years. And they vote this past uh, Thursday evening, Big 10 presidents and chancellors accepted applications from the Trojans and the Bruins to start play in the conference in 2024. So, Man, I, I don't know exactly what's going to be happening, but we know that uh, if you're speaking about the next five or ten seasons in college football or what's going to be happening in the year, I don't know, 2027, 20, 2032, somewhere around there, you could be looking at a situation, maybe even sooner than that, you could be taking a look where there's going to be two conferences, the Big Ten and the SEC, they're going to have somewhere around, I don't know, 25, 30, 35 teams that are going to be separating themselves from the rest of the pack. When you're speaking about what's going to be happening with the ACC, what's going to be happening with the Big 12, what's going to be happening with the Pac-12, I don't know. Who knows? Do you know? Because we don't know what's what's going to be happening now, especially when you're speaking about the firepower that uh, the uh, Big 10 has just accumulated when you're speaking about the acquisition of UCLA and USC, more USC than UCLA. Because, again, as you know, when we're speaking about realignments, when we're speaking about all of these things that are happening in college football, it is all about football. It is all about football programs. So for USC to be leaving a conference that they've been affiliated with since 1922, and UCLA, a uh, conference that they've been in since 1928 to go to the Big Ten and now you're speaking about man what does that mean for that conference you're speaking about it squarely in terms of football no one gives a rotten shit about what does it mean for water polo or tennis or women's field hockey or gymnastics or softball or baseball and to a lesser degree basketball it's all about football because when you think about the situation where okay, damn USC UCLA going to the pack, they're going to the Big Ten. 
Now we kind of take a look at some of the games that could be played, or we could take a look at some of the matchups that could be happening where you could be having an annual matchup where you're going to be having USC play Michigan, where you're going to be having USC play Ohio State, when you're going to be having UCLA play Michigan State, when you're going to be having UCLA play Penn State, when you're going to be having those type of matchups on an annual, semi-annual basis, it all speaks of football. No one's going to be sitting up there clamoring and dancing and doing the kid and play and James Brown thinking about, wow, I can't wait to see that matchup between UCLA and Penn State in water polo. Or, ooh, I cannot wait to see USC play Northwestern in basketball. No, this is all surrounded. This is all dictated. This is all uh, a situation where it is football, 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 which is driving this car toward uh, the new age of college football. You know, and of course... Money also. I mean, we're speaking about football. Football equates money. What the biggest money maker for athletic programs in the high majority of these uh, of these universities when it comes to the athletic department? It is football. So money is another reason why they're living. With USC and UCLA on board, Big Ten media rights deal, which was already somewhere around a billion dollars, that's going to be increasing when you have USC and you have UCLA on board. Remember there was a situation where the new TV contract for the Big Ten Network or the, the, the Big Ten Networking Partners, that deal was supposed to be released or that deal, deal was supposed to be done sometime in Memorial Day. Then they came out and said, oh, no, wait a minute, I'm sorry. <laughs> we, just, we don't mean Memorial Day. We're talking about maybe June, maybe July, maybe August. Yeah, this was the situation where USC and UCLA yesterday or a couple of days ago said, hey, you know what? I got an idea. Let's leave a conference. Where do you want to go, fellas? Let me go. Let me see here. Do you want to go to the, do you want to go to the Big 12? Uh, you want to go to uh, the ACC? Uh, you want to go to the Mountain West? <laughs> you want to go? Let me see. Where do we want to go? Now, this was, this was planned and this was planned a long time ago in terms of those two programs, those two universities looking to uh, move elsewhere. And if you're the Big Ten, and I know there was everybody's clowning the uh, Pac-12 in particular, because last summer, after Oklahoma and Texas, basically um, after they were done, after they were done having sex with the uh, Big 12 left and didn't leave breakfast, didn't leave a note, didn't leave a, didn't even leave a kiss on the cheek, didn't leave any Vaseline in terms of them screwing, in terms of them fucking them over to go to the, uh, to the SEC. It was a situation where the Big 12 and the Big 10 and the ACC, I think it was, was it the, I think it was the ACC, Pac-12 and the Big 10, they all got together and said, hey, did you see what Texas and Oklahoma did to the Big 12, we're not going to have that. We're not going to do that. We are unified. We are in solidarity. This is not going to happen to us. No way, no how. We will not be rating any of your teams. We're not going to be rating any of the best teams or any teams in your conference to go to our conference. No way. It's not going to be happening. We see the seismic shift. We see what's being put down at the foundation for what college football is going to be about in the next couple of years, in the next few years, that's not going to be happening with us. We are going to leave your teams alone, you're going to leave our teams alone, and we're going to sing Kumbaya, we're going to shake hands, we're going to give high fives, we're going to go out and dance together, we're going to go out and eat dinner together, we're going to go out and, and, and double date together, we are going to be BFFs, baby. 
we are going to be kindred spirits in terms of not letting college football dictate to where the SEC ultimately wants it to be, right? That was the whole deal between the Pac-12 commissioner, Kevin Warren of the Big Ten, and I think the ACC or one of those conferences, right? So what does Kevin Warren do? What does Kevin Warren do? He says, yeah, baby, I love you. The Pac-12, I love you so much. I want to do this. I want to do that, baby. Let's go ahead and let's get intimate and let's get together. And then at the in the morning when the Pac-12 woke up and turned over to give a nice little good morning, honey, cheek to the a kiss on the cheek to the uh, Big Ten, what happened? <laughs> they took everything. No note, no breakfast, no nothing. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to take your uh, wallet and I'm going to take your car as I say bye-bye, sucker. What a heel turn. What a heel turn by the uh, by Kevin Warren in the, uh, in the Big Ten to do what they did to the uh, Pac-12. But they had to do it. They had to do it. Because if they come a-knocking on your door, man, I mean, it's a situation where it's, look, we were never best friends, bruh. We were never like that. I mean, we were cool. It's almost like, look, man, if you have a beautiful female, if someone is dating a beautiful female and you're you're friends, good acquaintances and friends with this person, and the female comes over to your place and says that I don't like who I'm dating right now and I want to be with you, and she's a sexy son of a bitch, and she's wearing something, and that's perfume is smelling, and you're like, fuck yeah, what are you going to do? Say, nah, you know what, I, no, I don't think so. You're going to say, baby, come on in, especially since, damn, I'm lonely tonight, and I'm playing Otis Redding, Otis Redding Teddy Pendergrass, Sam Cooke, and, and Anita Baker in the background right now. So hell yeah, I'm already in the mood. Come on in. Bring that sex, sexy self in there with you. So of course, man, of course you're going to take that. There was no legiancy. There was no... You know, brotherhood between the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. And when USC and UCLA, because of money, saying that, wait a minute, we, you know, we live out in California, man. We live in Southern California where the cost of living is expensive, where paying coaches are expensive, where everything is expensive. Especially when you're speaking about Los Angeles. This ain't Pullman, Washington. This ain't Eugene, Oregon. This ain't Corvallis, Oregon. You know, this is this is high-priced stuff that we're dealing with here. This ain't Tucson, Arizona. This ain't Salt Lake City, Utah. So this is a situation where we need to get things rolling. We need to get some money. And if, damn, if the Big Ten is getting that contract, TV contract, which is worth more than a, or worth, which, is, which is worth somewhere around a billion dollars, how much more will it be if we, Speaking of USC, UCLA, if we decide to uh, join that conference, damn, we're still paying for the mistake that we made by hiring Mike Warren and uh, uh, Mike Garrett, Pat Hayden, and Lynn Swan as, as athletic directors. You know, now we're starting to make the move. We got Lincoln Riley, the coach, the coach of football program and such, but uh, it's about time that we capitalize and make this money, USC, UCLA. So they came a knocking on the door of the Big Ten, and Kevin Warren saw them sexy selves looking and said, come on in, ladies, or come on in, programs. We will definitely take you. Shoot, because Michigan needs some good loving. Ohio State needs some good loving. Northwestern needs some good loving. 
Penn State needs some of that booty. So come on in. Come on in. We'll pass you around and you can participate in uh, this orgy of money that's going to be happening for us. So in a way, you really can't, in a way, you you really can't uh, blame the Big Ten for what happened. Because if, guess what? It's not a situation where if the Big Ten said, no, we can't do that. No, we can't bring you in. It's not like USC and UCLA were going to go back to the Pac-12. They would have been like, okay, let me knock on the door of the, uh, let's knock on the door of the SEC. And Lord knows the SEC was going to be taking them folks in, right? We, we know about that. So it's a situation where, hey, look, man, when you're sitting down at the table, are you going to be part of the program that eats the meal or are you going to be the meal when you're speaking about college football and where it's going? Pence, um, big, the Big Ten said we want to be at the table eating the meal. We don't want to be the meal. The ACC, Big 12, the Pac-12, the way things are going now, they're going to be the meal. And course one is going to be, mm, this is a wonderful appetizer. We have Washington, we have Oregon, we have North Carolina, we have Colorado, we have Utah. Dig in, fellas. Mm, wonderful. What's up next for the uh, main course? For the main course, oh, wonderful. We have a beautiful, wonderful, delicious, uh, wonderful Clemson, which is going to be served on a plate which is going to be full of Florida State and and um, North Carolina Mm-mm-mm. and Oklahoma State. Digging, boys. Mm, wonderful. And what's for dessert? Oh, for dessert, it's going to be fantastic. For dessert, we have a wonderful, beautiful, delicious tasting Stanford in California. It's also served with Baylor and also uh, another helping of Oregon. Mm-mm-mm. That was delicious. That was fantastic. Wonderful, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, the analogy might be corny, but you get it. What are you going to be? What is the thing going to be? What is the outcome going to be for those guys? So that's where things are going, and that's what things are happening in terms of uh, college football, man. And, um, you know, when the season gets a little bit closer, I, I, I think one of the things when you start hearing people talk about how horrible and terrible and awful this is, and this is wrong for college athletics and everything, listen to the folks who are going to be bemoaning and crying and complaining about it. Take a look at the age group. and Take a look at the uh, location, the region of the country, which they're going to be moaning and groaning and complaining about it. You know, times are, times are changing, man. And, you know, we're speaking about, oh, man, and, you know, and, hey, you know, me being my age, I bemoan and cry some of the um, changes that are happening in college athletics. Sure. But everything changes, man. I mean, you know, we're in the year 2022. Okay, this ain't 1952. This ain't 1948. You know, this ain't the era of Beto Cook. This ain't the era of uh, Lee Corso. This ain't the era, I mean, you know, we, we, we move on, you know. I mean, Beano Cook is, 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 is dead and gone. You know, so all of these wonderful tales about the Army-Navy game in 1943 and Ohio State and uh, Woody Hayes and Bo Schembechler and all this kind of bullshit that happened, in, that happened 50, 60, 70 years ago, 80 years ago. Hey, man, time to move on. You know, grow and evolve. You know, so it's, if this is the way that uh, college athletics are going to be, then cool. 
And for those over the age of, I don't know, my generation and above, who remember the good old days where you could wake up on January 1st and you had college football all day where you could start with the Cotton Bowl and end with the Fiesta or the Orange Bowl, and by then you would know who the national champion is, and we didn't have playoffs, and we didn't have BCS, and we didn't have all those things, and the, the Rolls Bowl was an important game because you had the Pac-12 versus the, uh, or the Pac-10 then versus the Big Ten, and and, and, and all those type of things, and you have the rivalries, which are still going on, which are still intense and important when you're speaking about Auburn and Alabama and Michigan and Ohio State and Washington and Washington State and Arizona and Arizona State and the Red River rivalry between Texas and Oklahoma and Florida and Florida State or Florida and Miami and Florida State and Miami and such. All of these games and all of these situations that I grew up on and one of the reasons why I became a big college football fan because growing up in Silver Spring, Maryland, I mean, outside of Bobby Ross for a little bit, the University of Maryland football team was uh, really not something to uh, fonder and fall in love with. And being from that uh, part of the country, you fall in love more with college basketball than you would uh, college football, especially when you're speaking about my era, when you grew up in an environment in a community that had John Thompson coaching at Georgetown and Lefty Drizel coaching at um, Maryland and Morgan Wooten coaching at DeMatha High School. So you were fully inundated in terms of your love for college basketball, not college football. So despite the fact that I didn't have a college football team to root for, the fact that I fell in love with the sport because of some of the things that are now going by the wayside, Hey, man, you know, the, the, the foundation is still there for me to love the game of football. And these rivalries, depending upon, you know, who what happens in terms of uh, other conferences going astray, you're still going to have the games that matter between the communities, between the regions. Texas and Oklahoma, that rivalry isn't going anywhere, even though those guys are going to be going to another conference. Despite the expansion... Michigan and Ohio State won't be any less important. Same thing with Alabama and Auburn. Even second-tier rivalries, like, as I just mentioned, Washington and Washington State, Stanford and California, um, others that might not have national championship implications. Regardless of what happens to those conferences, and what happens in terms of realignment and such, quite sure that those games are still going to be going on. And regardless of how they do it, it's still going to be important to those guys. So to me, it's like, hey, man, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a new day. Time to uh, move on and get it going in uh, college athletics, man. I just want to see some really good college football on my uh, Saturdays. And that's what I'm all about. So there you go. All right, I'm done. I am out of here. That has been the audio version. That has been the audio version of Wendell's World in Sports. Hope you can check out my episode on YouTube, Wendell's World of Sports. And uh, as always, man, as I mentioned before, with each other, be good, learn, listen, educate. Try to uh, get to know someone. You don't have to be best friends with them. You don't have to hang out with them all the time. You don't have to uh, break bread. You don't have to name your firstborn after them. But... Hey, man, try to get to know somebody. Have a conversation with somebody of a different race or a gender or political affiliation. 
and ask them, you're a Republican, are you fucking nuts? Or a, um, or a different religious, or a different religion, or someone who might be from the different side of the tracks, different community, someone who might have been born in another country. Try to, try to have a conversation with them just a little bit and try to learn something about them, something about what makes them tick, their thoughts and their feelings and such. See if you can do that and then take that to the younger generation. So when the younger generation is learning and they're learning through stereotypes and ignorance and bias and prejudice and racism and those type of things that you can correct those those deals so they can learn and they can grow and then pass it along and we can truly live in a community that we can live in a society not when I'm going to be around because I'll be long gone by then but our children and their children can live in a society in a world where people are truly based on who they are as human beings what's in their heart the love that they give for each other the understanding the education the intelligence that they have for one another so race gender all those type of things won't play into someone that we know these people already and that we can help them, that we can learn from them, that we can be brothers and sisters with them. We could do that. That would be great. So, Wendell's World of Sports. This has been uh, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm Wendell Wallace. Get me out of here with some music. <laughs>